Welcome to Crazy Crimes with Kara. I'm your host, Kara, and we'll be diving into a world of people who have their own brand of crazy. Serial killers, regular murderers, disappearances, unsolved mysteries, and maybe even some odd sightings of make-believe creatures. Or are they? Buckle up, buttercup. It's about to be one hell of a ride. I'm adding a disclaimer to this podcast due to the fact that people don't seem to understand that this is a true crime comedy podcast. So if that is not your cup of tea, please do not listen. I'm still going to continue to make and perform on this podcast the way that I want to make and perform on this podcast. Yes, it's informative. Yes, I will go through the details of crimes. Yes, I will poke fun at whatever I feel the need to poke fun at. If it isn't for you, don't listen. So this week's episode is kind of short, so I'm going to be doing a little filler and talking a little bit about me and kind of what's going on in the world, I guess, right now, because what else can we do besides have a little chit-chat? Anybody else in seasonal depression, though? Because, like, this shit's sucking. I mean, I have a beautiful sunset I'm looking at, even though this is going to post December 22nd at 6 a.m. This sunset is absolutely gorgeous, and I'm still, like, depressed. So, um, mental health, if you need help with it, please get it. Uh, Suicide hotlines, if you need that psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, therapists, please go see them. Uh, If you have EPA available to you through work, please do that. I am a huge advocate for mental health. Um, I work in corrections. I work at a male penal facility. Um, It's not maximum security. We house medium restrict, close, things like that. We don't house maximums. We do right now because COVID is complicated and it's hard to get people where they need to be once they are on maximum security. But as a correctional officer or a nurse or a police officer or, you know, anybody that works in as a advocate for domestic violence or anybody that works for CPS or DSS or anything like that, we see the worst of the worst, the absolute worst of the worst of humanity on a regular basis. And it takes a huge, huge toll on your mental health. So if you know somebody that works in one of those fields, say thank you because It takes a strong person to be able to do the things that we do and to be able to tolerate it Um, and to continue in my field. When you know somebody has committed a crime and you know what that crime is, you have a hard time not treating them as though they are the scum of the earth. And if you work in a correctional facility, then you still need to treat people like they're human beings because they are, even if they're behaving like a caged animal, like you still need to treat them like a human. You need to, you know, be 
firm but kind, if you understand what I'm saying, because you are an authority figure. You control the movement. You control who does what. There is a lot of control in there. And these days, so many young kids, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, are coming in to work in a prison. And they don't understand that it's not like what it is on TV. It's not. Um, I'm not going to go into that too much. I can't talk about my job very much. I can't talk about the things that go on there. I can't talk about, um, you know, who is there. Uh, if you find my prison, you find people there. That's one thing. It is a matter of public record. Uh, but I'm not allowed to talk about it because I work there and I have information that is not public knowledge. Uh, I can't talk about it. I will, however, because I keep saying, seeing stuff like this on my Facebook, the write a, a criminal pen pal stuff. If you do that, great. You can do that all you want to, but please be wary. Okay. I have passed out mail. An officer will skim through your letter. We're not allowed to read, read it, but we will skim through your letter. We will open it, make sure that there's nothing in there that shouldn't be in there. Uh, and then we'll deliver it to the inmate. They're probably not going to get it in a timely manner because of the way that things have to be done. And sometimes their letters have to go to internal affairs because something in there is iffy. And I get it's the holiday season. You want to send them Christmas cards, whatever. If you're doing this, please use a P.O. box. Don't use your home address. Um, you don't know if that inmate in particular is about to make parole. Um, they could flatten out in 16 years, but they parole out in two more and then they have your address. Please don't do that. Please understand that if they don't know you, they will pass your address around just so other inmates can write you. They will try to manipulate you. They will try to get money out of you. They will try to get you to order them uh, packages because we have a package for each quarter where they can get specialty food items and things like that. Uh, so just please be wary of those things. Please do not ever send them a picture of you or your children or anything else, these inmates will sell that item for food or drugs or anything else. And yes, there are plenty of drugs in prison. We have dirty officers. We have people throw things over fences that we don't catch. We're human. They're human. There are drugs in prison. There are tobacco. They make liquor. I mean, there are things in prison that you would never think of. So I want to put that disclaimer in here though, because Everybody on Facebook right now is like, I would write this person, they're attractive, and blah, blah, blah. Please don't do that. Just please don't. And if you do, please do it safely. Don't use your real name. Don't use your home address. Use a P.O. box. Um, anything like that. If you're curious about their crimes, I'm, I'm understanding that's what a lot of people write to them for. If you're just super curious about their crimes. Uh, but please don't do it without doing it smartly. And please don't ever send them a photo of you or anyone you love. Uh, or any other photos for that matter. It's just not wise. Um, so I, I do want to 
explain that and let you know that prison is nothing like what you see on TV. Most of the time, it's very calm. It's very mellow uh, unless you're working in a gang unit and then it's always high tension. But there are a lot of decent people that work in a prison. There are a lot of people that are on power trips that work in a prison. And these young kids coming in that are working it don't understand that they are an authority figure and they don't understand the word no. And we have to be able to say the word no. And if somebody flips out and throws a temper tantrum because you told them no, that they couldn't do something, so be it. But it's like dealing with children and they need structure and discipline. It's just part of it. It's a reward and punishment system, even in prison. Um, so it's just one of those things. So I did want to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, talked about mental health a little bit. This is kind of a more serious one. Not so humorous, I guess. On my part, it might get a little humorous. I don't know. Because we're talking about Connecticut. And I don't think it's going to get that much more humorous today. I think it's just going to be pretty straightforward. But on a side note, I think that the stimulus bill has passed... And I think we're going to get like 600 bucks. Woohoo. Like that does a whole lot for me. But I mean, I've worked through the entire pandemic minus a couple times when I had to quarantine myself and I could use the extra $600, but I'm not in a rush for it. I mean, we're getting ready to come in to file your taxes season. So I can do that at any point in time and still manage all right, hopefully 2021 will be a much better year than 2020 was. I'm not going to guarantee anything on that front for anyone. You are responsible for your own destiny, I should say, your own happiness, your own fate. You make your choices and good or bad, that's what they end up being. There are consequences for every choice, good or bad. So it's just something to think about, something to to hang on to a little bit, a little bit of hope for lots of good decisions made in 2021. I have a feeling that this pandemic's not going anywhere, and we're probably looking at a shutdown as soon as Biden is inaugurated. I am not political, but I just feel that that's the direction that he's going to go. Uh, nationwide shutdown, not just, you know, leave it up to the states. Because my state really wasn't shut down. Um, a couple things got shut down, but not much. So the state itself kept operating at a pretty normal level. I find that kind of mind boggling. Like, if we would have done like a lot of European countries and just shut the fucking country down and had that three weeks off for everybody, which I wouldn't have been off, but, you know, had three weeks off for everybody and kept, you know, human contact to a minimum, we probably could have depleted the spread of this virus fairly quickly in the beginning. But now here we are in December. This started really hard in our country in March and we're still going. But, you know, I don't have a whole lot of faith in our government. 
or the state that I work for considering that they took away my pay raises for the next two years. Like that's going to keep me working. But we're going to talk about Connecticut and the last person to be executed in Connecticut and the first person to be executed by lethal injection, who is considered a serial killer uh, with eight confessed, confessed, confessed murders under his belt. Uh, this dude's a fucking whack job and he makes me think about Jeffrey Dahmer just a little bit. Uh, except for, you know, dark hair. I mean, just based on his mugshot. I'm like, you kind of look like Jeffrey Dahmer. You're a little bit chunky. You got dark hair. And you didn't eat nobody. But you kind of a little bit look like Jeffrey Dahmer. Maybe he ate somebody. Maybe you just didn't confess to that. I don't know. Anyway, so his name is Michael Bruce Ross. Um... He was born in Putnam, Connecticut in 1959. Um, so, he was the oldest of four kids. He had two little sisters and a little brother. And grew up in a, on a chicken farm in Brooklyn, Connecticut. According to what observers in his life said and, you know, other people, probably the prison psychologists and things like that their mental health department. Uh, Ross's home life was extremely dysfunctional. His mother abandoned the family at least one time. That's well known. And then she had also been institutionalized. They don't say why. But she beat the hell out of her four kids. And he got the brunt of it. Being the oldest, I'm sure she figured that he could take it. Um, it's also suggested based on the way that he talks that he was molested by his teenage age uncle when about the time that between four and six years old. Um, and then he, that uncle committed suicide when Ross was six. They said that he performed really well in school. He graduated from high school in 1977 and then he went to Cornell university in Ithaca, New York, and he graduated in 1981 uh, and studied in agriculture. He was extremely antisocial from a very young age. And he ended up becoming an insurance salesman. Which makes no sense. But hey, we all don't do what our degrees say that we should do. Just saying. I got a degree. I do nothing with it. I work at a prison. Um, he became an insurance salesman. salesman blah, blah, blah. And by the time... He was a sophomore in college before he even graduated. He started stalking women. So he got creepy real fucking quick. And then his senior year, he committed his first rape and first murder soon to follow. <clears throat> so between the years of 1981 and 1984, he murdered eight girls and women. So under the age of 18 and over the age of 18, um, between Connecticut and New York. So seven out of his eight victims were raped. And he was also alleged to have raped but not killed a 21-year-old woman named Vivian Dobson in 83. Um, Plainfield police rejected the possibility that Ross had been Vivian's rapist. Uh, so they didn't even press charges. And Ross didn't make a confession. But he did confess to the eight murders and seven rapes. 
and he was sentenced to death. So the women were, and forgive my pronunciations on a lot of these names because I've never seen them before and I don't know how to fucking say them. Zung Nok Tu, she was 25 and this was the one that he killed at Cornell University. So this one started in New York. Uh, the second was Tammy Williams, who was 17 in January of 82 in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Paula Pereira, who was 16 in March of 82 in Middleton, New York. Deborah Smith Taylor, 23, June 15, 1982, Griswold, Connecticut. Robin Stavinsky, 19, uh, October of 1983 in Norwich, Connecticut. April Bruneus and Leslie Shelley, both 14, both killed the same day, April 22nd, 1984. And then Wendy Barabute, 17, and he killed her in June of 1984 in Griswold, Connecticut. So we don't have a ton of information on these deaths, but it seems like he had... A certain way of doing things. I forget what that's called. It's not a motive. Uh, like he profiled his victims. He liked them to be at least in the teenage years. Though he had two victims in their 20s. Um, he had two victims in their 20s. But he seemed to lead them into a wooded area or a field. Uh, he would rape them. And then he would have them turn over on their stomach and he would strangle them from behind. He didn't want them looking at him uh, with the exception of the two young girls, April and Leslie. Uh, he did not rape Leslie and he actually picked them up on the side of the road and took them to Rhode Island. Um, pond, beach Pond is where he took them and he made them you know, get out of the car. Leslie actually went with, went after him with a knife and he disarmed her. And then he actually bound them like by their hands and feet. He unbound April's feet and took her out of the car where he raped her and killed her. And then, um, he just killed Leslie, put them both in the trunk of the car and, uh, drove back to Preston, Connecticut. And he put their bodies in a culvert. So, he did a lot of fucked up shit. He was only convicted for Robin, April, Leslie, and Wendy. So all of these are, um, you know, in Connecticut. All of these are between Thanksgiving of 1983 and um, June of 1984. So not even a year in the six-month window of that he was committed on those um and he's the first man in connecticut to be killed by lethal injection he was sentenced to death on these cases or on these um poor women's murders and rapes uh he actually got engaged while he's in prison. How mind-boggling is this? This is why I say, please don't write to these motherfuckers unless you just really, really want to because they're going to sell your information. They're going to try and get money out of you. I mean, if you could see what our visitation gallery is like, sometimes it's insane. 
and I would, if I no longer worked at the prison, I would talk about it, but I can't do that at the moment. Um, they got engaged. Him and a woman named Susan Powers of Oklahoma. But she ended up breaking it off with Ross in 2003. Uh, she visited him until they actually put him to, de to death. He apparently became a devout Catholic after his arrest in 1984. And met regularly with two priests throughout the years. And prayed the rosary every morning. Um, he translated documents into Braille acted as a mentor to other inmates, and financially sponsored a child from the Dominican Republic. This is all while he's in prison. So, Ross opposed the death penalty, um, but he strongly supported his own death sentence in the last year of his life, saying that he wanted to spare his victim's family any more pain. Um, according to Kathy Yeager, who graduated at Cornell, Ross believed that he had been forgiven by God and that he was going to a better place once he was executed. Uh, she said he's not being punished. He's moving on to life eternal. And that's what's ironic about the death penalty. He's looking forward to the peace. She also said that Ross had come to believe that there was no way his death sentence would be commuted without forcing the victim's family to suffer through more legal hearings. And he knew his life would be meaningful even behind bars. And then in quotes, he's had a horrible life and he wants to do good. Um, in spite of this, an hour before the execution was to take place on January 26, 2005, Ross's lawyer acting on behalf of Ross's father obtained a two-day stay of execution. So he was scheduled to die January 29, 2005 at 2.01 a.m., However, earlier in the day, the execution again was postponed because of the doubts that Ross was mentally com confident. Having fought against the death sentence for 17 years, he suddenly waived his rights to his appeals. And his attorney claimed that Ross was incompetent to waive appeals as he was suffering from death row syndrome. Uh, in his final days, Ross became an associate of the Bendocton Grange. Benedictine, I don't fucking know what this is saying, guys. Um, a Roman Catholic monastic community in West Reading, Connecticut. He was finally executed by lethal injection on May 13, 2005. At 45 years old, he did not request a special last meal before facing an execution and just had his regular prison meal. Uh, and then was, when asked if he would like to make any statements, he just said, no, thank you. And then he was pronounced dead at 2.25 a.m. Um, <clears throat> so after the execution, a psychiatrist that, uh, had argued that Ross was not competent to waive the appeal received a letter from Ross dated May 10th, so three days before he's executed. And all the letter said was, end quote, check and mate. You never had a chance. Ross's execution was the first in Connecticut and in all of New England since 1960. And it was the first and only execution in Connecticut administered by lethal injection. And as of June 2020, Ross is the most recent inmate executed in Connecticut since the abolition of the death penalty on April 25th, 2012. So he, nobody else is probably going to be executed in Connecticut. But as of right now, they got a good one. 
Vivian Dobson, whom Ross was alleged to have raped, actually became a vocal opponent of the death penalty in an effort to save Ross's life. So if she was raped by this man and she wanted to save his fucking life. So she began protesting the death penalty? I'm just very confused on why. I don't fucking know why anybody in their fucking right mind would want to help him do anything. He's a fucking rapist and a murderer and somebody actually wanted to save his life. On his front, he earned the death penalty. This motherfucker tortured young girls and women in order to deal with whatever childhood traumas he had to deal with. And it didn't fucking work, obviously, because he's still nutsoid. Oh, my God. Why the fuck would anybody want to help this man? I understand that you need religion in prison and... People want to find God and visitors come in, preachers and priests and, you know, volunteers that just part of the congregation and things like that. I understand. But this woman is trying to aid her rapist. And my mind is boggled by this. I don't know what the fuck to think about this. I mean, we don't have a lot of information on any of those deaths other than, you know, he basically kidnapped them from wherever they were by force or by sweet talking. He made them get naked. He raped them. He made them turn over on their stomach while they're still naked. He strangled them so they couldn't look at him. I guess he was ashamed. I think that's what that means if he won't look at their, his victim in the face whenever he's killing them. I think that's a shame. And... Then he would, like, drop them somewhere or, like, with Robin Stavinsky, he covered her body with leaves. I mean, like, he didn't really try to hide the things he was doing, and it still took them three years to figure out who it was. To be fair, though, it was across state lines. There were some in New York and some in Connecticut. And in the 80s, that was a little bit more complicated, but I'm just, to help the person who made you a victim, I'd rather see him die. So I can't understand where her train of thought is coming from. On a side note, we have Christmas in a couple days, and I hope that everyone has a very happy and safe Christmas, and that they enjoy the time with their families, and if you're Enduring seasonal depression like I am, and you need mental health help, please seek it. Don't wait. I mean, I feel like I'm losing my fucking mind 90% of the time. But it's a very real thing, and it's absolutely nothing to be ashamed of, so please seek help if you need it. I mean, even if it's just calling a hotline in order to talk to somebody for a few minutes, you may not even be suicidal. You just may be having really dark thoughts. Um, what is that word? 
it's a German word and I can't think of it right now, but it's like call of the abyss where you'll be driving in your car or something and all of a sudden you have the urge to drive off the road. Um, if you're doing that, please seek mental help, health help. Um, I have that happen occasionally. It's pretty normal, actually. Um, even if you're not depressed, that occurs quite frequently with most people. It's like the lull in your brain. You're like, I wonder what would happen if. Uh, please don't do it. You are very much loved. You are very much wanted to be around. Just seek help. If you need it, seek it. You'll be thankful for it later. It is very normal to have a therapist in 2020. Uh, no one is ashamed of it anymore. No one is ashamed of having depression. We don't, we're not ashamed of having anxiety. These are normal things now. Almost everyone in the nation has these things. So if you need help or you don't want to seek help yet, at least talk to somebody. I don't care if it's your best friend, if it's your mom, if it's your cousin, if it's a stranger on Tinder. Please seek help. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening to these wild tales with me. You can follow us on Instagram at crazy, crazy crimes with Kara, and that's Kara with a K. You can also email us at crazy crimes with Kara at gmail.com to share some of your crazy stories, whether that's a story um, about a brush with death or crazy sibling fight or something sweet and kind of silly. We'll read it all and we'd be happy to hear from you. I hope you enjoyed the ride and kept your seatbelt on tight. Stay safe out there and don't forget to find your brand of crazy.